0: I'm one of the pastors here, so thanks for coming here. You look good, especially you online. Thanks for getting dressed this morning. That was awesome. You look really good as well. Well, hey, if you're joining us for the first time, you need to know that we are in week three of a series. And for those of you who've been with us the whole time, you know that the application of this series has been very... Um, intentional and specific and maybe has induced a little bit of fear inside of some of us. But the application for this series is we're taking the great commandment of um, love God with all you got and love your neighbor as yourself. And what if we did that literally to our neighbors, the people that live next to us? So we decided that we as a church should throw a block party. And that's been about the response. That's kind of been what it's like it's been it's been met with mixed emotions like some people the extroverts woo let's go do it every weekend is a block party so let's just keep that ball rolling others of you there, man, some anxiety has creeped up in and there's some fear and there, you know, lead us to say the responses have been mixed. Um, we've gotten a handful of emails with people's responses. And also one of my favorite things to do is just hang out in the the comments with a little cup of coffee, just hide in the corner and just eavesdrop on conversations. And you'll hear all sorts of responses. So I, I want to read a couple to you that I thought were just, um, insightful. Let's use that word. Uh, the first one, like I said, the extroverts, they're with this. The introverts, they're just going to crawl deep into a hole. And if that's you, uh, you need to listen to Pastor Kurt's sermon last week. It was phenomenal addressing that exact issue. Um, other people say, uh, I'm out of town on the 31st, so I get a pass. So I thank you, Jesus, for travel plans, right? Um, other people say, I live out in the county, so I can't do it. Geography is that barrier, just can't overcome it, you know? Jesus is like, love your neighbors. Unless they're, you know, they're just going around for 10 acres. Then you get a pass. Totally fine. So that's like the loophole in the system. Um, some people said, I know my neighbors and they're weird. And then this is my favorite response. I was in, lo- in the commons and just hearing someone and they just said, no. <laughs> just, Are you going to do it? No. Just flat out, not going to happen. But what's so funny, and, and like I said, I-, I don't know where you land On this, I think you've got extremes and I think probably most of us are in the middle. And for those of us that are in the middle, myself included on this, um, I think we're in the middle because there's some fear that creeps up inside of us. And I think, I think it's the fear of rejection because on some level we are in fact putting ourselves out there. And I think we can be met with rejection. And we're going to say, hey, how, we're going to throw this block party because we think that as neighbors we should actually know each other's first names. And you're going to get met with, oh, we're out of town. Oh, we have other plans. But what you're going to hear and internalize is them rejecting you. I don't like you. I don't want to be with you. I, whatever. And if they know a lot about you, you're going to get very specific with the rejection. They don't want to come to this because of... And fill in the blank. It's that fear of rejection. And and we all have it. And this is why I think even, um, for a handful of Christians, evangelism is, is really difficult, right? Telling people about your faith in Jesus Christ can be difficult because of that rejection piece. Um, I'll give you a true story. It happened last week. Um, we had a guy come over to the house to give us an estimate on our air conditioning. And, um, if you were curious, the price is just astronomically high. So we're praying about it. And, uh, no, anyways, he came over and, we're sitting there and this is a two hour meeting with this guy. And this happens whenever I meet people, eventually conversation happens. And the question comes up, what do you do for a living? What do you do for work? Now I joke about this because I say, you know, when you're flying, it's the quickest way to just kill conversation with the person next to you. You say, I'm a pastor. And they go, Oh, and that's it. I'm stuck with just this gentleman. I still need him to run diagnostics on all my equipment. We need to go and walk the house and do all the things. So this is going to be an ongoing conversation. And depending on how I answer this and how it goes, there's going to be this awkwardness just dangling in whatever room we find ourselves in. And so he says, what do you do? What do you do for living? What do you do for work? And I said, oh, I'm a pastor. He goes, no way. And I go, oh okay, this is good. All right. We're going to be okay. He says, no way. I grew up going to church. I said, oh, no way. What church you grew up going to? And he said, oh, uh, Bellingham, Christ the King. I said, no way. I'm actually a pastor at North County, Christ the King up in Linden. And he goes, oh, cool. (laughs) And I read into it. He didn't mean it. It just came out that way, but I read into it of like, oh, you're a pastor. Like you're a professional Christian, and then I could just inter- like just feel him and the wheels cranking in his brain going. I feel like you're underqualified the- for the position, my man. I've been talking to you for about 15 minutes now, and mm, we'll see. And and he said this, and here's where this fear of rejection comes in. He said this. He said, "Oh, I, I I think I need to get back into church." Now, I know as a pastor, you can't pray for a bigger door to open. Do you know what I mean? Like. I know a church that you should go to. I know a lot about that church that you should go to. And so what I said was, yeah, I get that response a lot. (laughs) Swing and a miss. Out of everything I could have said, I said, oh, I get that a lot from people. (laughs) What? (laughs) Jesus is up there going like oh man like come on i just it was right there i gave it to you you're doing a series on neighbor like right come on man but it was that fear of rejection of like i didn't want to put myself out there and say hey you should come to north county you should come to this church in linden that i that I get to be part of a great team of pastors here because i was afraid he would he would say no and there'd be a great reason. You say, I don't want to make the drive or I really want to get back into, um, Bellingham Christ the King because that's where my family goes. There could be a million reasons. But like I said earlier, what I was going to hear with his decline and internalize was no because of you. And I didn't, I didn't want that. Do you know what I wanted? I wanted a very cheap estimate for an air conditioning system. I wasn't thinking about it at all. I didn't have my pastor hat on. It wasn't Sunday. I'm just engaging with a guy. We're just hanging out. And, and what I realized was I'm not prepared. I, and sometimes in life you have situations where you're intentional. And other times in life you have situations where it's just it's kind of a reaction. It's just you are in the environment and it just comes up. But I think whether it's sharing your faith or talking to your neighbors about having a block party. And you know they're going to ask you or church is going to come up on some level in that conversation, right? There is this fear of rejection. As I'm trying to reach out to you and be a little bit vulnerable and invite you into my world, into my sphere, my community, my relationships, I am somewhat fearful that you will say no and I will experience rejection. And so what I want to do, I'm going to assume that I'm the only one, so this will be helpful for me. But what I want to do is I want to look at two specific stories. And, of course, Jesus is the example. But there's a story where Jesus is at a dinner party and something very awkward goes down because of one of their neighbors. This neighbor is a complete stranger. It's a strange neighbor. And they're going to meet and have an interaction. We're going to look at another story where Jesus is very intentional and goes out of his way to engage with a neighbor. So, all that being said, if you've got a Bible, I want you to open up to the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's in your New Testament. Luke chapter 7. And as you're flipping there or scrolling through your phone, I want to recap very briefly our series. Like I said, we're in week 3. So, the first week we realized that you can't love God without loving your neighbor. Two parts of the same coin. You can't divide those two things up. Last week, Pastor Kurt talked about the first barrier that we have to overcome, and it is the barrier of time. We talked about that love takes time, T-I-M-E. You should go back. Seriously, if you haven't, if you missed that week, you need to go back and listen to that message. Today, we're going to talk about that second barrier to loving our neighbor, and it's the barrier of fear. And I'm going to give you the first point in your notes. Number one, fear manifests itself in one of three ways. Could be all three, but it's probably at least one. In apathy, anxiety, or prejudice. Fear manifests itself in one of three ways. Apathy, anxiety, or prejudice. Now, quick side note, we're going to look at Jesus as the example of what to do and how we should interact with one another. And if you're... Uh, if you're all cynical, like I am a little bit, your default position is like, well, yeah, it's Jesus. Like, of course he's going to make it. It's going to be fine. He's, of course, he's going to do the right thing. It's Jesus. You ever read this story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness? And you're like, of course he overcame temptation. Like he's Jesus. Hello. If I was God, I'd overcome the temptation too. Right. You're going to read these stories and go, well, of course he did this because he's Jesus. I want to encourage you. See, as Christians, we believe that God, that Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. So what I encourage you to do is lean into the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is a real person. He's a real person. I want to read you this passage from the Apostle Paul. It's in Philippians chapter 2. I encourage you to read it on your own. But it says this. Excuse me. In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Catch that? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted, he is actually feeling these temptations. It, temptation is a struggle. Would you agree? Anytime you're tempted, do, do you struggle with that? <laughs> yeah, I think we do. So Jesus is going to struggle with this. Now, we're going to know he's obedient to God. He chooses the right thing, right? You're going to see in this passage that we look at that there's going to be there's going to be this fear, this anxiety. There, there's, there's this weirdness, the awkwardness. And the human side of Jesus is really going to work through this. So I want you to just be aware of this as we explore this passage. So Luke chapter 7 is where we're at, like I mentioned earlier. And we'll pick it up in verse 36. And again, this is a reactionary story. Jesus is hanging out and then something happens that he has to respond to. So here we go. Verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. You there? He got invited to a Pharisee's house to have dinner. He's hanging out. He's relaxing at the table. Verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a... what, what, What did she live? Don't she love that? You're like, ooh, she lived a sinful life. Most scholars think she's a prostitute. That was her, her sinful life. She had learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her, tear, with her tears. So you get the scene, Jesus is hanging out, he's reclining at the table because that's what you do back in the day. When you were invited over to somebody's house, you were the guest of honor. We laid out the little pillows, the couch, you recline at the table. That's great. And then there was someone crashed the party. Now, in this culture, it wasn't uncommon if a rabbi was at somebody's home, they were being a guest of honor, it wasn't uncommon for other people in the community to show up and hear the rabbi. In fact, if you were hosting, it elevated your status. So that happened. It was very uncommon for a prostitute to show up. Are you with me? Now, I don't know what's going to go down at your block party. Would you agree the dynamics would shift? To say the least. So this is what's happening. And again, the humanity of Jesus. I'm hanging out. I'm having a meal. He's got to be thinking in the back of his brain. I'm probably invited here on some level to try and get tricked. That's got to be in the back of his brain. And yet this happens. Fascinating. Because she lived a... Sinful life. Right, she's weeping, it's the ugly cry. Okay, keep going. Then she then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This is Jesus' feet. Yuck. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. What I find so fascinating about this passage is that Jesus allowed it to play itself out. He didn't say anything, he didn't stop it. It just carried on. Can can you feel the tension in the story? I mean, if you grow up in church, you've heard this story a thousand times, but really place yourself in this situation here. You're invited you're not even the main guy. You're not the one who invited Jesus. You're not Jesus. You're just someone there. And you're watching this. You ever felt embarrassed for somebody? I imagine that's what people at the party would feel for this woman. And yet Jesus plays this thing out. He lets it go. There would be a lot of anxiety in the room. So again, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know the kind of woman that she is. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, thinking that Jesus is going to affirm him, right? Verse 41, he goes in the story mode. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you get that? Do you see that? This is, this is very awkward if you're at the party and you're watching. Jesus turned towards the woman and is talking to Simon. He says, do you see this woman as he's staring at her? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Remember all dirt roads, no Nikes, just flip flops. All dirt. Super gross. She's crying. It is the ugly cry, the uncontrollable weeping. Jesus' feet are now muddy with her tears. He said, you didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. It's customary greeting. When you come into somebody's house, you give them a kiss. You welcome them. You take care of their feet. You clean their feet when they come into your home. Yeah, you want to clean home. But it, again, it's a sign of honor and respect. He goes on. Jesus says, verse 46, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured out perfume on my feet. A lot of scholars think that this jar of perfume was a year's worth of wages. Now, I don't know what you make in a year. But but how how devoted do you have to be to Jesus to encapsulate your income in a year in one object and then give Jesus that object? That's a challenging thought, by the way. I don't want to talk about that, so let's keep reading. Verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little implicating the pharisees also if you've been forgiven a lot you love a lot verse 48 then jesus said to her your sins are forgiven the other guests began to say among themselves who (laughs) who is this who even forgives sins jesus said to the woman your faith has saved you go in what's that word go in peace Now, I want to walk you through the anxiety, the apathy, and the prejudice in this situation from the Pharisees' point of view and then from Jesus' point of view. And we'll go quick. But understand the prejudice that is here, that is going on. Simon is a Pharisee. The religious elite, the self-righteous, she is a sinful woman. She's a prostitute. Those two groups don't intermix. They stay on opposite sides of the playground. Are you with me? This woman shows up to the scene, crashes the party, causes a scene at the party, and Simon the Pharisee does not even acknowledge her. Did you catch that? He just goes, well, if Jesus, if you were a prophet, he's even thinking this. He doesn't even speak it. He's just thinking, if you were a prophet, you'd understand who this woman is. The prejudice is there. The apathy, no one engaged her. They could care less that she was there. No one engaged her. And the anxiety, look, they're just trying to have a nice dinner. And all of a sudden, this unexpected event happens. So what is, he, what is Simon? And he's got his own agenda too, doesn't he? He's trying to facilitate a nice gathering, wants to hang out with Jesus, wants to ask him questions, wants to learn from their rabbi, right? This is what's going on. And in this situation, bloop, everything changes. The anxiety is there. There's prejudice that is there. And apathy because I'm not going to do nothing about it. Enter Jesus. He's very well aware of the prejudice that is happening. Listen, the Pharisees don't like the woman because of the lifestyle she lives. The woman, the sinful woman, doesn't like the Pharisees because of their lifestyle. (laughs) Jesus is caught in the middle. He knows, regardless of how I play this, um, hmm, it's going to be really difficult for both sides to get along. There's going to be some tension to manage. That would cause some anxiety. Again, we're talking about the humanity of Jesus, right? Fully God, fully man. It's there prejudice is there the anxiety is there and then the apathy it would have been very easy for jesus to go well hey not right now because like i got invited to this party i'm not hosting i'm not in charge i'm just a guest so you, you need to talk maybe we could do this after the party maybe we could go outside we like not a whole lot of people will see us you have a checkered pass, so maybe like one or two other people will see us thank you for the laugh <laughs> the, but what does he do he chooses to act Anyways, he engages. Anyways, what does he do? He decides to love well. Because in this moment, he's restoring dignity to this woman who has none, by the way. And he elevates her up, acknowledges what she has done because of her love. Her sins are forgiven. And then creates it into a teachable moment for the Pharisees. Who are all about learning and understanding the ways of God. This one is just difficult. It's different. Jesus engages. He enters into the environment. Again, this is unforeseen. This just happened. He was going to a dinner party. And in this moment, the script has changed a little bit. And Jesus responds. And he responds well with love. Okay. That in mind, I want to jump to another story where Jesus is very intentional. Are you with me? Can we go to story number two? Okay. Flip over to Luke chapter 5. And we'll pick it up in verse 27. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this... Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, this word follow me isn't like, hey, I'm just going to walk in a straight path. I want you to follow me as well. When a rabbi goes to someone and says, follow me, again, we're dealing with an honor and a shame culture. When a rabbi says, come follow me, he's saying, you can be like me. You can do what I do. Rabbis are elevated and honored in this society, and tax collectors are not. Because tax collectors are viewed as being more allegiant to Rome than they are their own people. They gather taxes from their people and give to Rome, but they don't just grab 10, 20%, whatever it is. They go above and beyond so they can get some money for themselves, right? They need a home. They got to buy groceries, all of that. So not only have they betrayed their people, they're also stealing from their people and taking advantage of it and living, or I would say having more uh, material possessions than them. And Jesus goes to that social outcast and says, hey, you, you come follow me. You see what he's doing? The sinful woman and the tax collector, these are people that are on the outside. And and just a quick thought, I just wonder, I just wonder for many of us, might that be our story? Maybe you're not a tax collector, maybe you're not a prostitute, but have you ever felt like you didn't belong, like you were on the outside? And you just wanted to be elevated? You wanted to be invited to the party? One of the things I I, I hear a lot and I love about Linden is that um, it's a small community. So everybody knows everybody. We we, we have relationships. And yeah, they may be surface level, but surface level is better than than no level. But what I also hear about, you know, because I oversee small groups, is thank God that you started this small group because I was having a very difficult time getting in and finding my community here. Which, you know, I learned a couple things. Linden does a great job of engaging with people, having conversation. Uh, and building relationships. But I, I've also learned that there's still more work to be done. Are you with me? I just wonder if maybe maybe some of your neighbors that live next to you might be, you know, quote unquote, the sinful woman. Or Levi the tax collector. And truthfully be dying inside and praying and hoping that someone would include them into their community. I wonder if that's not some of you sitting in the room. You ever felt like you were on the outside? And you weren't invited to the party. And Jesus comes and the woman that crashes the party, he says, no, you're in. And the guy that can't hang out, he says, I'm going to intentionally go after you. I pick you. You come follow me. You come do what I do. You can come be like me. So keep going. Verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet. That's a big old party. In case you were unclear. In the Greek, a massive party. For Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, they complained to his disciples. He says, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and, what's that word? Sinners. sinners. Ugh. Those people. You have sinners and then you have tax collectors. Jesus answered them and, and listen, the whole party. This is happening while the party is happening. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repent. Talk about an awkward moment in a party. Get this. Jesus says, Levi, tax collector, you come follow me. Levi says, great. I want you to meet my friends. We're going to throw a party because this is worth celebrating. So they do it. And Pharisees, the self-righteous Pharisees come and say, how come you guys are, how come he's hanging out with those people? And Jesus goes, oh, those people, the sick ones, they need a doctor, the sinners, they need to repent. I, I've come for them, not for the righteous. They're not sick. And if you're Levi, you got to be sitting here going, whoa, time out. I invited you to my party. That's, That's offensive. But I also think that in the back of Levi's mind, he's going, you know, you're right. (laughs) I am sick. I am a sinner and I probably do need to repent. And I imagine all of Levi's buddies are going, oh, that is offensive, but you're right. Hey, we're sick. We're sinners. Yeah, I pour another one, you know, and inappropriate jokes and the party continues and they move on. But do you understand what Jesus goes to this woman and says, no, you're in. To this guy, he says, I choose you. Come follow me. He gets invited. To this group. And he's fellowshipping with them. He's in their company. He's interacting with them. The the awkwardness. The anxiety that is is there. The apathy of the Pharisees standing on the outside of the party. Watching all these other things go on. It's, It's all here. It's all here. And what does Jesus decide to do? Well he says I'm not going to be apathetic about this. I intentionally go after Levi. I'm not going to be prejudiced against tax collectors. And quote unquote sinners. I'm going to go fellowship with them. I'm going to commune with them. I'm going to be a part of them. Fascinating. And the anxiety, what's he do? you, you got to have a little anxiety. If you're human in that situation, you got to have a little bit. Because you're, you're being put to the test. People are checking you. He's courageous and he overcomes. I, I, I've found this to be so true in my life. Um Sometimes I think fear is the great, like, I don't know, escape card that I that I play? Like, I don't have to do it because I'm scared. Like, oh, okay, I I could get a pass. You ever know, like you read all throughout the scripture, like, man, one of the most common commands is do not be afraid. God's going, I need you to do this anyways. (laughs) Like, don't be afraid. I know you are, but you still need to do this. And because you're afraid, don't think that you get a pass. You still have to do this. It's a command, not a suggestion. And trust me, I am preaching to myself here. I am preaching to myself. This is very, very difficult. So I'm, back to your notes. I want to give you point number two. And then point number three very quickly. Point number two. Whether proactive or reactive, our job is to love our neighbors well. Whether proactive or reactive, our job is to love our neighbors well. And would you agree that Jesus loved, in those, both those stories, he loved very well? Yeah. I think so. I think so. Again, he showed honor to people that had none. In an honor-shame society, he leveled the playing field for both parties. Number three, you've seen this in the stories, and I've, I've alluded to it, but number three in your notes, replace apathy with compassion, anxiety with courage, and prejudice with love. This is what Jesus did. Go back, read the stories, you, you'll see it plain as day. He replaced apathy with compassion, fear or anxiety with courage, and he replaced prejudice with love. Now, I wonder what would happen if we did that in our own families, maybe even our extended families. Look, look, any holiday gathering, right? Maybe there's people and I don't know what your family is like, but maybe um, it's a little bit awkward. You have a family gathering and then and then someone brings a plus one that you didn't know was showing up. And maybe they think differently, they talk differently, they look differently, maybe they have a different lifestyle than you and you can feel that prejudice coming up. What would happen if we just put that aside and we acted in love? What if we were a little bit hesitant or fearful or we had anxiety about that social interaction and we decided, you know what, I'm going to be courageous, I'm going to love and I'm going to show compassion on someone that is totally different than I am. What what would happen? Because this is what Jesus did. He showed up to the party and said, nope, compassion. I'm going to be courageous and I'm not going to worry about offending the people that invited me here. I'm going to reach out and love. What would happen if that happened in your immediate your immediate family. What would happen? Just humor me for a second. What would happen if everyone in the church, what if What if that was our experience? When people came in contact with us, everyone in the room and everybody online, they come in contact with us. They go, man, I, uh, I i may not believe what he believes, but like he's compassionate and he does some very courageous things with the way he loves people. I'm skeptical of what he believes, but I'm thankful that he's my neighbor. He's my friend. I think that's the spot we want to be in our relationships, what would happen if our church, what would happen if the big C church, if we were known for this compassion, we're courageous and we loved just like Jesus loved us. I think, I think, I think we would begin to see a movement because here's why I think this, um, I think people are hungry for this. I think people are Desperate for this. I think if you've ever felt on the outside, the thing that we want most is someone to show compassion and bring us to the inside. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus has done for me. This is what Jesus has done for all of you who put your faith in him. You have felt like you have been on the outside and Jesus comes, no, come follow me. Do as I do. You can say as I say. You can act as I say. You can love the way I love. I will bring you to the inside. You can have a relationship with God the Father. Compassion a courageous act of going to the cross and dying for our sin. Love, for God so loved the world. What would happen if you and I, (laughs) we replaced apathy with compassion, fear and anxiety with courage, and prejudice with love? I believe that neighborhoods would be transformed, that lives would be changed, and we would see the hand of God move like we have never seen in our lifetime. I'm convinced of it. But you know what this requires? This requires us To set aside fear. To lean into our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And to get the Holy Spirit to equip us along the journey. So that's what I want to pray for all of us. Would you close your eyes, would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? Lord, we come before you and I got to be honest, this is challenging. And I'm extroverted and I like people. But I know that myself and the people online and in the room, Lord that we're being challenged with something that could end up in rejection. And that's going to hurt. Probably on a very deep level. So Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to work in me and would work in us. God, you have been so faithful throughout my life. I pray that I will look back and see your hand of faithfulness and blessing along the way. And I will trust you with this next step. I don't want to be rejected, but what I want more than to not be rejected is for my neighbors to know Jesus. And if that can begin with a simple block party, then I'm going to try that. God, we thank you for your son Jesus and his model and how he lived courageously, lovingly, showing showing compassion to all that he met. Father, would we do the same? as we reach out to our neighbors in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that the fruit, the results of this block party would lead to relationships, friendships that lead into more people having a relationship with your son, Jesus. Father, would you help and would you bless our efforts? We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And the church said, Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to close by singing one last song.